of chapter number six, but I figured I'd start off with one verse in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Paul said it like this, if in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. And I think a lot of folks are living in the hope of eternity, but we're not living in hope. Does that make sense? We're saved and we know we're saved and we have a hope that one day we will be in eternity with Christ, but we're not living in that hope. Uh, as we go to Hebrews chapter number six, uh, and if you've been in my Sunday school class, as we walk through the book of Hebrews, then you know that we were talking to who? Somebody help me. The Jews, the Hebrews, all right, and uh, it's pretty, pretty easy on that, all right, so we, we have uh, the writer here whom we do not know who it is, we don't know who wrote it, uh, some say Barnabas wrote it, others say that Paul wrote it, uh, there's others that believe that uh, some other writer possibly wrote the book of Hebrews, my personal opinion, and that's all it is, is an opinion, is that Paul wrote it, uh, but uh, uh, that is my opinion of things, but anyhow, in the book of Hebrews, the writer is writing to a group of individuals, the Jews, the Hebrews, that are discouraged. If you'll remember from our studies, the reason that they were discouraged was because Jesus had not come back. The promise had not been fulfilled. They had known, and he had resurrected, but he had not come back. These people lived their life, is everybody with me? These people lived their life in the expectation and anticipation that Jesus was going to come back each day. All right, uh, uh, we've, we've gotten so far away from his ascension in the Bible, a couple thousand years now, and now we live life as if he's not coming back. Come on, help me out now. Uh, the average Christian lives their life as, a, as if Jesus wasn't coming back. All right, uh, uh, let me ask you this. If I was to visit your house, all right, if I was to call you up and I was to tell you that I was coming to your house, all right, would there not be some preparations made for the preacher coming to your house? All right. Now, some of you, if you were like me, I remember when the preacher come over to mine and Michelle's house, we had to put away all of our shot glasses. Is everybody all right? And uh, not that she did anything, but I did. I had to go hide stuff because you didn't want the preacher walking in and seeing the things that I had laying around. Is everybody all right? I can remember the preacher came over one time to visit my daddy, and, uh, and he walked in, caught my daddy off guard, and I remember my daddy reached over there and grabbed his beer and just put it behind the recliner <laughs> while he talked to the preacher. And uh, we make preparations. If somebody's coming over, we make preparations, but we live our lives as if Jesus is not coming back. What if you knew that Jesus was coming back tomorrow? How would you live your life? Right? What preparations would you make? We would all make preparations, all right? They lived in this. And so the fact that he had not come back was very depressing and very discouraging to these people. And what it ended up doing was it ended up wanting them or bringing them back to a place to where they were thinking, maybe we shouldn't be doing this. Maybe we should go back to what we know, which was the Mosaic Law, right? And maybe we should subject ourselves under the law Instead of believing in this Christ 
All right? And this grace gospel that is being preached. Does everybody understand what I'm saying? They were discouraged to the point that they were thinking maybe this, maybe we missed it. Right? Maybe we missed it. And so they become a people that even though they were in Christ, they were a people with no hope. All right. And so by the time we get to chapter number six, he starts off in the in the beginning of the chapter or the beginning of the book. And he's writing to them. And by the way, uh, we, we have chapter divisions and verse divisions, but it wasn't written this way. So when you read the book, you'll find out that chapter number six flows right into chapter number seven. If you go back to chapter number five, if you were to take out the chapter division, you wouldn't even know it. You'd start, you'd read chapter number five and it'd flow right into chapter number six and six will flow right into chapter number seven. And so uh, uh, we didn't have those chapter divisions until we had a translation, all right? But uh, these, this, this letter, he addresses the superiority of Jesus over what their belief system was in the Mosaic law, all right? He, he uh, 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 entails and, and, and describes the superiority of Jesus over the high priest that they had, all right? And their high priest uh, was one that was a man that died, all right? And this is how he basically put it over to them. Uh, this man had uh, the high priest that they followed had a changing ministry. In other words, they would live and then they would die and somebody else would become the high priest. And what he was saying was in superiority, Jesus is our high priest and his high priest, his priesthood does not change. Because he never dies, right? He's ever living, ever interceding for you and I. By the time he gets to chapter number six, uh, he's dealing with them concerning this thought of going back to what they knew. And so he starts off the chapter and he tells them, I'll just read a couple of verses, but he says, I'm going to read, uh, the actual sermon's going to be at the end of chapter six, but I'll read just a few verses in chapter at the beginning. And because uh, I don't want to skip things that may uh, confuse you, all right? So he says, therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go on unto perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith towards God. So he's exhorting them, don't go back to this uh, 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 life and belief system of dead works, all right? He says Christ is enough and he's the foundation and we are to go on into perfection. Now this word perfection, once again, it does not mean that we're to go on to being perfect. It means that we are to mature. All right. Uh, uh, so it's a continuing, it's a com bringing to completion. And so this perfection that the writer is talking about here in the very first verse is he's saying, let us go on into maturity. In other words, so if you go back in chapter number five, the writer tells him, he says, you ain't able to handle meat. You're still on milk. He said, you should be teachers, but yet you're babes in Christ because you've not matured. That's why I'm telling you, it flows right into chapter number six. So he says, hey, let us leave behind the principles or the foundation. It's great that you got saved. Hallelujah. Praise God. Now let us mature. We don't want to stay where we, I need somebody to help me. You don't want to stay where you got in. We want to mature. All right, And the writer lets them know that you're not going to achieve perfection 
but uh, we are to move towards completion or maturity in Christ, all right, a spiritual walk. And so uh, we're to leave those principles, all right? Now, I'm going to go ahead I'm going to go ahead and read through verse number six because verse number six scares the mess out of a bunch of preachers and a bunch of people that read the Bible, all right? So it says, of the doctrine of baptisms and of laying on the hands and of resurrection of the dead and of eternal judgment. And this will, that's the foundation, by the way. Those are the foundation, all right? All right, and this will we do if God permit. For it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift and were made partakers of the Holy Ghost and have tasted the good word of the God and the powers of the world to come. If they shall fall away to renew them again unto repentance, seeing they crucify to themselves the Son of God afresh and put him to an open shame. So a lot of people get real scared on this verse and say, well, if I fall away, then I can't get saved again, Right? Y'all help me. Does that not even does that not kind of imply that if I fall away and and our immediate mind goes to if I sin, then there's no room for me to get back saved, right? Y'all help me now. It said in the verse before it, it was impossible, right? And now it's telling us if they shall fall away to renew them again unto repentance, it's impossible to do so. All right. So what are we talking about? Are we talking about a sin that of falling away? Y'all help me. Is it a particular sin? Anybody? No, so in the context, what is he talking about? Uh-huh. Not well, not if it were possible. So in the context, remember in the context, he's telling them, remember when I was talking about the context and I was telling you these Hebrews are discouraged and they're thinking about going back to the law. All right. So this is the falling away. All right. It isn't a sin that's committed. It is them going back to Judaism. It's them going back to the Mosaic law. And if they go back to the Mosaic law, then there is no possibility of a a, a repentance. Why? Because it's not the blood of bulls and of goats. Do you understand what the writer is telling them? He's saying, listen, if you're going back to that, then you will find no repentance. Because there is, it's not the blood of bulls and goats, but it's the blood of Jesus Christ that saves us, all right? And so then he says, seeing they crucified to themselves the Son of God afresh and put him to open shame. So what you're basically saying is this is what the writer was saying to him. If you go back to the sacrificial uh, uh, lambs and the, fa- uh, the sacrificial rams and all, all the bullocks and all of that stuff, then you've openly shamed the Son of God who came as a sacrificial lamb for you. All right. So I, I want you to understand that because a lot of people take that verse and they run with it and they say, oh, if I make a sin, then I have to get saved again. And this, uh, this, is some, this is some of the verses that people use when they talk about losing your salvation. But you have to leave it in context. And if you leave it in context, what the writer is telling them is don't go back to Judaism because it, it does nothing for you. All right. Uh, and, and so uh, uh, this is where the writer's at. Now, let, let's move on to the sermon. I just didn't want to not give you them verses because I know somebody in here. You done looked at that verse and said, ah, he's going to skip that one because he's scared. of. I ain't scared. I ain't scared at all. All right. Let's go on. So let's look at, uh, let's see here. Uh, hey, with everything that's going on, I think that we ought to... Uh, Uh, Verse number nine. Let's go back to verse number nine, all right? Verse number nine, here we go. But beloved, we are persuaded better things of you, all right? So he's telling them, don't go back, don't go back. 
Don't fall back into that. Don't get back into that, all right? He says, but beloved, he's warning them, but at the same time, he's exalting them. He says, but beloved, we are persuaded better things of you. That's the exhortation, all right? There's gonna, you don't, don't, he's encouraging them, all right? And things that accompany salvation, uh, 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 through, though we thus speak, all right? Even though we've given this warning, all right, we are persuaded that there are better things for you, all right? Verse number 10, for God is not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love. Obviously, they're discouraged. So the writer is telling them, God ain't forgot you. He's not forgot what you've done. He's not forgot what you're going through, okay? He's not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love, which you have showed toward his name. In that you have ministered to the saints and do minister. And we desire that every one of you do show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope unto the end. That ye may, uh, or that ye be not slothful, but followers of them who through faith and patience inherit the promises. For when God made promise to Abraham, because he could swear by no greater, he swear by himself, saying, Surely blessing I will bless thee, and multiplying I will multiply thee. And so after he had obtained, or patiently endured, he obtained the promise. Now, I told you this, since we're in the time that we're in right now, I want to go back to this, all right? Y'all get mad at me, I don't care, all right? But this goes back in reference to Genesis chapter number 12 and the Abrahamic covenant that God made with the Hebrews, all right? The promise was given to Abraham that he would have a son, that son we know to be Isaac. But we do know that Isaac did not come until a later age in Abram's life. Matter of fact, Abram and Sarai tried to work things out with Hagar and that didn't work out with Ishmael. And finally, God opened up the womb of Sarai and Abram and Sarai had a child to begin the promise. It was the promised child that was given to Abraham, all right? And so uh, he takes these Hebrews who would be very familiar with Abraham and he takes them back to this and says, hey, if God promises you something, he's going to deliver. All right? Is everybody getting this? They're discouraged. Jesus ain't coming back. He ain't coming back. We might as well go back to what we used to. And what he's writers telling them is God's told you a promise. All right, let me put it in American language. You can take it to the bank, all right? And so anyhow, this is what I tell him. So how does he do this? He takes them back to Abraham. He takes them back to the Abrahamic covenant. And he reminds them that God gave Abraham a promise. And though it did not come to pass quickly, he endured with patience and he obtained the promise. Why? Because God doesn't lie. Man, this is good. Y'all ain't got to like it. I like it for both of us, all right? And so he told him, he said, listen, God will perform what he said he would. Verse number 16. For men verily swear by the greater, and an oath for confirmation is to them an end of all strife. So the writer says, now look, when it comes to men, they go to one that's greater, which would be something like a judge, all right? And an agreement would be made, a swearing, an oath would be made between the two individuals. And as far as man was concerned, that oath was binding. Is everybody with me? All right. I'm going to try to put this together here at the end. So you need to get this. All right. So he first tells them if God tells a promise, he's going to do it. 
Then he said that God swore by himself. That was the Abrahamic covenant where God did an unconditional covenant. Remember we learned about it last night in Bible college, all right? An unconditional covenant, all right? And so not only did God promise he was coming back, but by an oath, all right, two things. Is everybody with me? A promise and an oath. Men want an oath. He says, for men verily swear by the greater. In other words, they'll go before a judge and an oath for confirmation is to them an end of all strife. It settles all disputes. All right? We go in there together. We stand before the judge and me and Frank, we say, hey, I'm going to do this, Frank. And Frank says, Brother Robbie, I'm going to do this. And the judge says, that's final. All right? He said, that's how men like it. They don't believe the word, but they believe an oath that's done. So God says, all right, through the writer of Hebrews here, God says, not only am I promising something, but he says, I'm confirming it by an oath. And since there's nobody greater than me, there's nobody that can judge God. There's nobody that's over God or greater than God. God made the oath with himself. All right, man, I like it. Y'all ain't got to like it, but I do. I really do. I like it. So he's saying, I did this with Abraham, and I have done it with you. Abrahamic covenant was unconditional. The new covenant is unconditional. I didn't have to die. Jesus died for me. All right. He took all my sins. Amen. I, if you go back to the cities of refuge, they had them. They were accessible to all. That means anybody could get to them, right? They, they were a picture of Jesus. But the difference between the cities of refuge was the only people that were protected in the city of refuge was the innocent. But in Christ, the guilty man... So what does that mean? That means it's unconditional. It's not dependent upon you, right? So it was by an oath. God did it and an oath to himself. All right, now let's move on because we're getting to this stuff. All right, here we go. Verse 17. Wherein God willing more abundantly to show unto the heirs of promise the immutability. Thank you very much, all right? I said that word 20 times today, and and I just went blank on it. All right? You got it. All right? (laughs) Of his counsel confirmed it by an oath, all right? So God confirmed it. He's saying that his, his uh, 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 immutability, that will not change, his, his counsel, his unchanging counsel, he confirmed it by an oath, that by two immutable things, a promise and an oath. Help me, are y'all with me? A promise and an oath, that's the two immutable things, all right? God's word, somebody help me, it doesn't change. An oath by God. It doesn't change. God gave them an oath because they weren't satisfied with just his word. So God gave them an oath. God said, I, hey, I know how man operates and you're not going to be satisfied with me just saying I'm coming back. And therefore, I'm giving you an oath as well. So by two immutable things, a promise and an oath, uh, 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 for in which it was impossible for God to lie, we might have a strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope set before us. Now look at this next verse. Which hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, which entereth into that within the veil. He's dealing with Hebrews, so how's he dealing with it? How's he dealing with them? 
concerning the temple. Language that they would understand. They're going back within the veil, all right? For the average Christian today, we don't understand that unless we have an understanding of the tabernacle and the temple, all right? These Jews whom he's writing to would have a very good understanding of this, all right? And so when he tells them which hope, this is in Christ, our oath with God, our promise from God, which hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, when which entereth into that within the veil, all right? They wasn't, but listen, as far as they was concerned, there wasn't but one person that could go within the veil. And that was who? The high priest. And he could only go once a year for the people as a representative. I need somebody to help me. And then he had to get out. But we have an anchor that's within the veil. He went in and he ain't come out. He didn't have to come out. <laughs> so he's an anchor, all right, of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which entereth into that within the veil. Verse 20, whither the forerunner is for us entered, even Jesus made a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. I'm going to give you this and I'm going to be done, all right? I know I do a lot when I do preaching. I try my best to make sure you understand Scripture and you understand context. I don't try to pull stuff out and make my own sermons up, all right? I'm doing my best to stick with Scripture here. But there is a promise that you and I have. And I want to just for a few moments, I'll lay it out and, uh, and we can look at it. But the pledge of the promise is found in verse number 17. Wherein God willing more abundantly to show unto the heirs of promise. That's us. That is us, all right? God more abundantly, more than just His Word, more than just His promise, God willing more abundantly to show unto the heirs of promise. That's you and I. The Im immutability, all right? The, the fixed uh, of His counsel, the, the unchanging nature of His counsel. He confirmed it by an oath. This literally means that he pledged it by himself. Amen. All right? This is what that confirmed it by an oath. That, that word confirmed isn't even a good translation in here at this point. It is a pledge of oneself. And that is exactly what our pledge or the pledge of our promise was a pledge of oneself. The promise that you and I have, it is a pledge of God himself. All right. He is unchanging, a God who cannot lie. So not only is he a God that's unchanging, a God that cannot lie. The Bible says it is impossible for him to lie. So the promise that you and I have is pledged or confirmed or pledged through an oath by God himself, all right? May, just like he did with Abraham when Abraham fell in a deep sleep in Genesis chapter number 15 and God passed through those animals that were on the ground, all right? And so we have the pledge of the promise. Number two, we have the peace of the promise, the peace of the promise in verse number 18, that by two immutable things in which it was impossible for God to lie, we might have a strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope set before us. There's so much in this. He's making a reference back to the city of refuge. 
all right, that they would be very familiar with from their uh, 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 from what they had in the Mosaic Law and what they had and uh, and God's word. And so they he makes a reference back to the cities of refuge. But when he says we might have a strong consolation, what he is telling them is that we might be encouraged. We might have peace instead of living as having no hope and going back to what we used to be, going back to what we used to know. He says you and I can have hope in this promise and we can be encouraged by this promise. So in other words, there is peace in this promise. All right. So we see the pledge of the promise in verse number 17. We see the peace of the promise in verse number 18. In verse number 19, we see the persistence of the promise which hope we have as an anchor of the soul of the soul I found this out you don't need an anchor unless you're in the storm or in a good fishing spot I need somebody to help me all right the persistence of the promise you need an anchor in the storm I need somebody to help me. These people were discouraged. They were going through difficult times. They were going through persecution, not only uh, uh, from the religious leaders, but they were going through persecution from their own family members. Uh, Here they are. They have left Judaism. They are now following Christ. They are now Christians. They're following after Christ. And everything in their life is now against them. They are going through a storm. And so the writer tells them the hope that you and I have is as an anchor of the soul. You don't need an anchor unless you are in the storm. One commentator said it like this, you don't need an anchor in calm seas. I need somebody to help me. An anchor keeps you from shipwreck. An anchor helps you maintain progress. In other words, a storm or something in your life wants to push you back, but that anchor will hold you steadfast and sure. An anchor helps you maintain progress. An anchor helps keep you grounded. I need somebody to help me. When everything is come against you, an anchor will help keep you grounded. It'll keep you. Now, our anchor is not below the sea. I need somebody to help me. But according to the Bible, our anchor is up in heaven. He's already ascended up into the tabernacle that's in heaven. He's gone through that veil and we are anchored already in heaven. What he's trying to tell them is be encouraged. The promise that God made to you is an anchor to the soul. We are attached to him. We are secure in him. We are anchored to Him, and that means we are not moving. I wrote a couple of things down. The anchor must be secured to the ship, though. Can I get a witness, Brother Bobby? Amen. The anchor must be secured to the ship. Uh, Brother Bobby, you mind me telling you, can I tell this story? You go ahead now. Amen. All right. So Brother Bobby got him a boat and he's got one of them things. You push a button and the anchor goes down. First time he pushed the button on the thing, the anchor went down. But the rope and all didn't. I need somebody to help me. The point is, is that for the anchor to work, it's got to be a hold. The boat has to have it. Mm. The boat has to lay hold 
of the anchor in the same manner that the anchor has a hold of the boat. And what we need tonight, listen, if you are living in a discouraged state and you are living with no hope, then you need to secure or lay hold of the anchor and that anchor being Jesus Christ who has ascended for you and I with a promise that He will return for us and where He is, you and I will go also. The anchor must be secured to the ship. The anchor, in other words, the ship must have hold of the anchor so that the anchor has hold of the ship. Oh, I need somebody to help me. Hey, some of you God's holding on to as hard as he can, but you ain't got a hold of him. Oh, I believe that alone and move on. I wrote this. Here we go. Do not fear just because you don't have eyes on the anchor. Because if the the anchor's doing what it's supposed to be doing, you don't see the anchor. I need somebody. I like it. Y'all ain't got to like it. I like it enough for both of us. All right. The pledge of the promise, the peace of the promise, the persistence of the promise. And then lastly, verse number 20, the precursor of the promise. The precursor of the promise. Uh, The Bible tells us in verse number 20, whither the forerunner is for us entered. Even Jesus made a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. All right. So the writer alludes to him that this is, that Jesus is the high priest. All right. As far as they were concerned, the high priest, all right, was somebody that represented them. Somebody help me. Right. Every year, the high priest went behind the veil as a representative of the Israelites. He went back and he couldn't go back unless he went back with blood, right? And he had to have his sins atoned before he could go back, right? But he went not as a forerunner, but as a representative, all right? This word forerunner is very different. This word forerunner is a military term that means somebody doing reconnaissance, somebody that is going ahead. And so here in the Greek, this mean, this word means that this forerunner is scouting the trail, as Brother Larry would say in his sermon that he preached out of Isaiah, chapter number 45, I believe it was, or 44. He's scouting the trail. In other words, he's going before us. The Bible even calls him the first fruits of the resurrection. How many of y'all remember that? But a forerunner, he runs out front, all right, understanding that there are those behind him that are going to follow. He goes ahead understanding that those behind him will follow. So when it says that Jesus is a forerunner, he's a precursor of where you and I are going to be, we are going to be there. Why? Because our forerunner is already there. And if he's already there, then you and I should be actively pursuing him. And in actively pursuing him, we will end up where he is. A forerunner. It was a military reconnaissance man as far as the Greek is concerned. He went ahead expecting that others would follow. The Old, high, uh, the Old Testament high priest did not enter the veil as a forerunner, only as a representative. 
because only he was allowed behind the veil. But our forerunner, according to Hebrews later in Hebrews chapter number 10, God, Jesus made a way, the Bible says, through the veil, that is to say through his flesh, that you and I now have access to God. Amen. The hope that you and I have, the hope, the promise that you and I have is a pledge. God pledged of himself that promise. It is a peace. You should have peace concerning that promise. Why? Because uh, uh, God has, God cannot lie. And not only has God promised it, and if God's word wasn't enough, he pledged an oath. In other words, God said, I've I've removed every excuse you have for not believing that I'm coming back. Man, I like it. And then the persistence of the promise. No matter how rough it gets down here, no matter how ugly it gets, World War, I need somebody to help me. World War III could break out tomorrow. My hope is still anchored. That hope is an anchor of my soul. Brother Edwin said something, and me and him have talked about this before. So many of us, we want God to heal somebody or we want God to do this. We want want God to perform things on our terms, right? But I want you to understand this, that when somebody dies, there's healing. Mm. Uh, For those of you that are old and wake up with aches and all that other stuff, you understand exactly what I'm talking about. There's coming a day. <laughs> hey, there's coming a day. All right, when you're 20 years old, you don't think about stuff like that, all right? Because uh, nothing hurts. You can fall off the house and nothing hurts, all right? Now you can trip and not even fall down and you hurt for three weeks, right? Uh, there's coming a day. There's coming a day. There's coming a day. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. No matter what goes on down here, don't you fear don't you get discouraged? Don't you start mully grubbing and thinking that all oh, this is the worst that could ever happen? Take us out of here because this, this life right here is the worst you will ever experience as a Christian. You can take it to the bank because God has promised. And not only has He promised, He says, I'm going. Jesus said it like this. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, he says, I will come again that where I am, you may be also. I'm looking forward to that day. We shouldn't live our lives discouraged. I understand we live in a discouraging world. We live in a discouraging time. Most of our discouragement is because Things haven't met our expectation. But nothing has caught God off surprise, by surprise. God, Israel may have been surprised when Hamas came in in paragliders. But God wasn't surprised. Israel may have been surprised as Lebanon attacked from the north. But God wasn't surprised. I need somebody to help me. God is in control. God has given to you and I a promise of hope. And though things may be miserable here, those things may be discouraging here, he says, take 
he says, I give you consolation. He says, take encouragement from knowing that what God said is true. And if it wasn't good enough for just you to believe his word, God said, I pledge it by an oath. And in that oath, I wish I had time, but in that oath, it is a reference to a covenant. A covenant was made between us and God on a cross as Jesus hung between heaven and earth on our behalf and you and I found, find salvation through Christ, through His shed blood, the oath that God made with you and I. How many of you get around the altar tonight? Come on down and let's do this. Let's end the service. Let's end the service encouraged by the hope that we have in Christ. Stop worrying about what's going on in Israel. Stop worrying about how our, our government is going to respond. Stop worrying about what's going to happen with the whole world. Our hope is not in this world. Our hope is in Christ. Be not discouraged. <clears throat> this promise is a consolation. It's an encouragement. It's a hope. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for tonight. <clears throat> Lord, I thank you for a word, <clears throat> a promise. Lord, a promise confirmed by an oath. Lord, a promise pledged on yourself. God, I'm thankful tonight that, Lord, you cannot lie. And I'm thankful by these two immutable things, a promise and an oath, that God, we can find hope in discouraging times. We can find hope in your promise. We can find hope in your oath. God, I know that there's folks that are discouraged. Things haven't worked out the way they planned it. Things haven't gone the way they wanted it to go with a doctor, with their finances, with their relationships, with their jobs with their homes, with their families, with their kids, with their parents. Lord, I pray tonight that every person in this building leaves out of here encouraged, knowing that, God, you're still in control. Your promises are still on track to be performed, completed in our lives. Lord, may we take hope in the fact and Lord, you cannot lie. It's impossible for you to lie. Lord, I love you tonight. And I, I pray, Lord, for what's going on over in the Middle East. Lord, I pray that your will be done. I pray for our leaders. I ain't going to call them leaders. I pray for our representatives, those in office that are making decisions. Lord, I pray that you would... Lord, influence their decisions. God, I pray in Jesus' name, Lord, that America would stand by Israel. 
Lord, I pray for the protection of Israel, knowing that, God, nothing's caught you off surprise. Nothing caught you by surprise. Nothing's caught you off guard. And that Israel is just as safe today as she was last Friday. God, I pray in Jesus' name, your will be done. Lord, may we be encouraged by your word. Lord, we'll be sure to give you all the honor, the glory, and the praise for it. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.